0: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. There's only so many ways you can say that.
1: I know, but you know, you can introduce me next time. Corey, we are two friends. What do we do when we get together? we just love getting together and I think we talk about things of eternity and we talk about things of life and we hope this all resonates with who's ever listening. Thank you for joining us.
0: That's right. We, we used to have casual conversation at Starbucks. And of course I haven't been able to sit down there for eons since COVID. So we get together and have casual conversation about like Corey said, things of eternity. And we welcome you just to listen in on that conversation and reach out to us whenever you want. And, um, we always appreciate feedback. What are we What are we going to talk about today, Cor? I know we talked a little bit about smoking turkey cuz we just went through. <laughs> I don't know when this will air, but Thanksgiving was just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. What a uh, um your turkey turned out pretty good?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was good. We've enjoyed enjoyed some good food and family time so it's all been good but um, Corey
0: surpassed me in the uh, jerky making oh my gosh. realm it was so good he so you guys
1: some... can't see this but every time we get together I think lately anyhow Mike has a little plate for me or I I have a little bag for Mike and uh, we, we make jerky at home and then we come share it and we take like two women with our recipes <laughs> <for that
0: exchange. laughs> I know yeah. when you showed up in the apron it was a little awkward and I said you don't have to do that uh, um, I realize <laughs> well
1: Oh, I was like, so how much garlic powder do you use? Mike? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put just a pinch of my, f- swirl my oh. finger around and give it some sweetness, Gordon. Oh, that's good. <laughs> hey, um, I am excited. I've been uh, adding, <laughs> been working in the background on stuff for, for a while that's slowly making its way to restore gospel. But um, I've got a new little section, and by the time this airs, there should be quite a bit there. Um I just want to give it a little plug. If you go to Restore Gospel, um, you'll see along the top title, Hebrew Words of the Book of Mormon. Uh, maybe that's not the best description of it, but this is what I'm enjoying. It's reading the Book of Mormon, and you'll find a word or a phrase, and sometimes it'll be a common word, or sometimes it could be an uncommon word or phrase. And then finding, usually in root looking up other things, that that word was especially used in the Book of Mormon and it came from the Hebrew and it's used in the appropriate context, better so than in maybe even yeah. the King James Bible.
0: Because growing up I heard the criticisms of the Book of Mormon was like, Well, look, this doesn't even match the King James Bible and, and why, you know, why would you do that? And you can't even get it right. It's not, you know, coinciding with the word we already have. It's things yeah. like that. But boy, yeah. every time you bring these out, it's like it's it's a, a validity it validates the fact that it it wasn't just a young boy making this up that that there was wisdom and purpose beyond anything he could know oh, that oh my that gosh. validates that this is a divine book and the message can be reliable yeah. that's the that's the main thing that we can rely on the message because it is it is divine and it has power
1: Yeah. And, you know, some of these things are just internal truths and they're not things that, um, like Joseph Smith in his day ever advertised or even understood. I, I'm convinced to that. Joseph probably. Yeah. He had no idea. Um, these are, these are things. So Hebrew, you know, we, we believe that the book of Mormon, according to what Nephi said was, was written in a Egyptian sort of letters with the mindset of the Hebrews. That's what Nephi introduces in chapter one. He said, I'm writing in the language of the Egyptians and the learning of my father. Well, his father was part of this Hebrew culture. So when we get these words that have been divinely translated into English, um, there's a good chance that the best words have been translated or, or the words have been translated probably most appropriately into English if it was done by the divine. Here's here's an example, and you you can find this. This is at Restored Gospel under this Hebrew words. The word merciful. Mike, if I would say, hey, what does the word merciful mean to you? Oh, that
0: uh, I have the power to place judgment on you or to punish you or to treat you badly, but I'm going to choose to delay that, and instead give you grace and mercy or kindness, something to that effect.
1: Yeah, so so define mercy, merciful without using the word mercy in the sentence, because you just did that. And your English teacher doesn't allow that, right? <laughs> she never liked me. Oh, no, that's all, right. <laughs> all right. I'm letting you off the hook. But here's the interesting thing. So just just a couple weeks ago, I'm watching this Jeff Benner YouTube video. And Jeff Benner is a modern-day nice guy, Hebrew scholar authority, American guy who's learned Hebrew on his own for the last 20 years has been taking words from the Bible that were likely mistranslated or not perfectly translated and putting better English translations to them. And this has gotten better over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years because in the days of King James, for instance, in the 1600s, Hebrew was basically a dead language. I, I think we had kind of mentioned this a couple episodes ago. Even though you think, well, didn't the Jews always speak Hebrew? No. When they got scattered around the world, um, they started speaking languages of other cultures right. and other, other kind of Yiddish and things evolved from this. It wasn't until they went back to Israel when they said, hey, let's officially make Hebrew the, the language again. Well. At the same time, the scholarly aspect of understanding Hebrew was sort of lost. When the King James Bible was written in the 1600s, You know, King James commissioned some Hebrew and Greek scholars, but they weren't necessarily perfect in their understanding.
0: Okay, Yeah, and today we have uh, so many versions of the Bible, NIV, NLT. We had the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which now is just a Christian Standard Bible. And when I listen to some of these more... Uh, modern uh, podcasts and things they will grab translations and they'll and they'll stop and they'll read the word and it'll be a different word in each one for like faith or for you know mercy or anything like that and I think that's good, and people say, "Well, that's confusing. Which one is it?" Well, because language and evolves. And and Tim Mackey said the other day, he goes, "It's supposed to be a translation, not just an old word that has no meaning now." That's the that's the goal of a translation is to place something in language that's being used today, so that our minds hear the word and it goes to the right intent.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so this word "merciful." This is beautiful because I loved your definition because it actually. Is just like mine and, and for both of us, the true meaning of the word merciful had something very concrete behind it, which the English word does not transmit to our minds. You know what the you know what the original Hebrew definition for to be merciful was? It's this to be wrapped in arms for protection. Mm. Now, that paints a picture, right? Now, to be wrapped in arms for protection. Well, so this is interesting. So you read, merciful appears in, in the Bible in many places. Uh, but Psalms 103, verse 8, for instance, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. So there's a little parallelism there, merciful and mercy used. But this this idea... So the Lord wraps me in his arms uh, for protection. <laughs> yeah, so here's here's the beautiful thing, and I'm going to read uh, directly. Jeff Benner has a couple websites, and one of them is just uh, mechanical translations where he takes the original words, and he's created a dictionary, and, and I've got a link to this, uh, his ancienthebrew.org website. It, it, just to bring up
0: what you said before when talking about words that's important is when we talked about English and a Hebrew Hebrew words paint like an action or a story like like when you use the pencil analogy maybe we should bring it up again how how would I describe a pencil it's a yellow piece of wood about eight inches long and whereas from the Hebrew language it would be an action like it's it's a device that um, that leaves a mark on paper to record your thoughts and feelings or to give direction yes that's more practical, in my opinion. Yes. Other than just this two dimensional. Okay, I have a picture in my mind, but that's showing you the, its purpose and what it. And so, when it comes to the Hebrew mind, like when I hear mercy, I think of you know grabbing my friend's hands and and interlocking them and playing that game and who can bend the other person's <laughs> fingers and I didn't and think of that. Slip the thumbs oh. and crank on that <laughs> pinky, and then you hear mercy, so that you stop being mean, right? Oh my gosh! But that's the context that we grow up in. I'd never. I'm reading a word, and, and when I see that word, think about Jesus wrapping me in his arms of protection.
1: Well, that's that's perfect, because yeah, I, I love the reminder about the pencil. The Western mind seems, sees form, but the, the Eastern mind or the Hebrew mind saw action in the same object. Okay. And so this definition, and I'm reading from Jeff Benner's website, and this is all on Restored Gospel, says, literally to cradle in one's arms. This is the definition of Merciful. Literally, to cradle in one's arms to protect or cherish. Um, And then it says, by extension, to show sympathy or sorrow. So all these actions are associated in the ancient Hebrew mind with mercy. All right. To wrap in one's arms. Well, what's interesting uh, is that, you know, Strong's concordance wasn't written until 1890 and and it was unavailable to Joseph Smith. I mean, Strong's concordance is sort of still the go-to of our day. If you want to understand English translations of Hebrew or Greek words from Mm -hmm. the Bible, Strong's is it. Um, There's other people who've worked on that too, but Jeff Benner's done one, but he's taken it a little step farther. Well, this, and, and, and let me just throw this out. Strong's didn't always get it right either. He was doing the best he could, but I, and I'm not criticizing that at all. I'm just saying knowledge evolves, and some of these things that uh, you'll find if you read some of this Hebrew writing is some some words they'll still say meaning unknown. There'll be a word that exists somewhere, and they're not exactly sure what it meant, um, but I'm not going there. Let me come back to merciful. So Joseph Smith certainly didn't have a Strong's concordance. Um And so I did a scripture search, and you can do this at Restored Gospel. You can search the Book of Mormon at the same time with the King James Bible. And that's an interesting search because sometimes that will reveal, hey, this word appears only in the Book of Mormon, and it doesn't appear in the Bible. And then that can lead you on to other discoveries, or it could be vice versa. But So when I saw this, Jeff Benner has a website, and he has YouTube channels. I was watching this YouTube channel, and here— popped up in big letters on the screen, is merciful means wrapped in arms for protection. And I'm thinking, where have I heard something about merciful in arms? And I did a search through the King James Bible, and there wasn't any verse. And, and I don't want to say that meaning is only contained within a verse. Sometimes it's within a chapter, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's within a history. But often you can lock two words together in a verse because they're, they're, they, there's something that ties them together. But I couldn't find any verses that talked about Arms and mercy. And then when I searched the Book of Mormon, listen to some of these scriptures. <laughs> this is from 2 Nephi chapter 1. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Wow. Now, isn't isn't love is his mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Redeeming from hell is justice. Mercy is being saved by him. I'm encircled eternally by the arms of his love. That, now,
0: that's a phrase that's, that's familiar to me because I know the book more. But yeah, encircled about in his arms of love is very, that's just a different
1: description. Yeah, and so this brings up another subject. And I've got more scriptures, but I want to throw something else out. So one, th- this verse right here in... The the Book of Mormon ties mercy with being, he says, not just in the arms, but wrapped wrapped in the arms of his love. I'm encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Well, that's tying this that's coming from the mind of someone who obviously understood what the real definition of mercy was. You know, they're, they're describing mercy in what the action was and being wrapped in his love. And that only occurs in the book of Mormon. It doesn't occur in the Bible. There's no verses that are tying the arms of Jesus or anything together with, with mercy and love that his arms aren't even mentioned other than when he stretched out on the cross. Obviously that's a picture we can, we can, we can picture, but this is brings up another aspect of Hebrew. The Hebrew's, did something that modern scholars call uh, a construct, like a loose connection would be like, if we if we took two English words like it is, um, it is raining out, and then sometimes we'll put like a, a hyphen in between and we'll just shorten the it is and we'll say it's raining, you know, with, right. with a little apostrophe and not a hyphen, I mean apostrophe. We've taken two words and we've contracted them together into one word. Hebrew does this as well, but they'll take... In this case, this construct is two nouns, and now a noun will show possession. uh, Like, you know, possession would be in Mike's house. You know, we're at Mike's studio. Well, Mike's studio is how an American mind would say it. But in the Hebrew, they would take the studio and they would take Mike and they would say the studio of Mike. and, And they would put this of in the middle, and these three words, studio of Mike, Become one word. They call it a construct. They they join them all together and they make a single word that represents the possession that the studio is Mike's. Right. Well, believe it or not, we get so used to seeing these things. Um, but that's a Hebrew. That's a Hebrew technique. Uh, they're they're all over uh, the, the scriptures, both the Bible and the Book of Mormon. House of Israel, right? Israel's house. Well, it's house of Israel. That's a construct. Um, plates of brass, right? We, we would say the brass plates, but they said plates of brass, right? Because it's a mm. construct. Again, even here's here's one that people probably have seen so much, you can't see the forest for the trees. Book of Mormon, right? Mormon's uh. book, Book of Mormon. It's a construct. So uh, when you see these constructs, there's Literally thousands of them. I'm making a list of all these. I'm going to put them up on Restore Gospel too. But I'm going to read four phrases. These all come from the Book of Mormon, and I'm going to give you the scriptures. They're, They're not only associating arms with mercy, but they put it in this called construct state. That's what the linguists would call it. Here's one that comes from the Book of Mormon. The arms of his love, right? The arms of Jesus. The arms of mercy, the arms of safety, all of these four descriptions are all solely in the Book of Mormon. You can't find them in the Bible anywhere. But there, it's like this double whammy where you not only get the arms of love, arms of Jesus, arms of mercy, arms of safety. You, you also get it presented in this construct state, the possession of one or the other, which is classic Hebrew, right? Mm-hmm. So how does how does someone in the English, you know, Western mindset? Who would be more likely to write? It was loving mercy. arms. Exactly, or, loving arms or merciful arms, right? But but instead to put it, arms of mercy, which is the Hebrew way of saying it. And then to get the meaning of mercy being wrapped in the arms. It sounds
0: right to me because I grew up reading it, but only in the Book of Mormon. So it's not an odd thing. You mean thing. the Mormon book, right? The, Mor- <laughs> the, yeah, the Mormon book. But it's not an odd it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't
1: sound out cause we've heard it
0: No, It doesn't mess with my ears when I hear it. Cause it's just normal for me, but you're right. Uh, loving arms or. Are...
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in, in speaking every day, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say the studio mic. Mike. I was saying, Hey, I was at Mike studio. Right. Right. But we're so used to reading these things. They've become normal. But what we're reading is classic Hebrew. Well, so here's some of these other scriptures. Alma 16, and thus mercy can satisfy the demands of justice and encircles them in the arms of safety. Here you've got the arms and mercy all in one sentence right there. And it's the beautiful parallel of justice and mercy again. Uh, This is 2 Nephi, uh, or no, Mosiah 8. Um, That's even...
0: You instead of saying justice's
1: demands, it's demands of justice. Exactly, it demands of justice. It's another con- construct. The law of Moses, right? Moses' law. Again, we hear these things. We're used to hearing them, but they're all how the Hebrew is translated. And so you get demands of justice in the arms of safety. Yeah,
0: but it's, yeah, because I use those in the biblical sense. That's that's normal for me. But like when I was going through uh, the police, you know. We would have to write a ticket either it'd be like this is the this is the Missouri law, this is the uh, the city of blah blah where I worked to law or, or you write it under this is the Ohio law. Yes. I wouldn't say the okay, I'm writing you a ticket under the law of Ohio or, or you know you've broke this and you're being you know charged with this under the law the law of the village of blah blah blah
1: mm-hmm. exactly exactly.
0: But when it comes to biblical speech, The other way doesn't sound funny to me because I'm used to seeing it like that. Right. But you're right. Outside of the biblical, we don't talk like that.
1: No. Uh uh. Uh uh. It's it's not, you know. And then when you see this laid out in front of you, you realize, oh my gosh, we get used to hearing it this way. (laughs) Sorry. I just, I had a flash. We had a guy that spoke so funny, and he would always start
0: out his lectures in the academy with Ohio law states. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd we'd walk around all day going, Ohio law states. <laughs> but yeah, I never heard him say "Law of Ohio." Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like to distract you. Yeah, you no, gonna... no, no, it's it's, it's, it's interesting law. It's interesting because these these so these construct things, like you say, they're just part of how we've heard it, and so. But this this just blew me away. So here's Mosiah eight. This is Abinadi speaking about people who've. Um, Gone their own sinful ways. Says, having gone according to their own carnal wills and desires, having never called upon the Lord while the arms of mercy were extended toward them. Oh my gosh, here it is, arms of mercy. And again, this definition of mercy and arms, I don't think it even existed in Strong's. It, it sure wasn't something in the book that Joseph Smith had. It didn't come from the King James or any version of the Bible then.
0: So what, what the Book of Mormon is doing is, uh, is presenting a very plain um, image to us in the sentence, whereas you've got this scholar that looks just at the word and then defines the word as arms of in the book of mormons already using that where you don't have to go in and figure out the hebrew thing does that make sense it's yeah. it's it's taking yeah. the definition of the, the little definition of the word and then it's using it in a sentence including that so that you get the correct picture it's a perfect application i, I yeah. picture jesus just ra- spreading out his arms and bringing you in and that's uh that's an important word picture i think he's trying to get across of this is my character. This yes. is who I am.
1: Yes. You know, there's there's probably, gosh, there's there's 10 of these at least. I'm going to read two more. Um, and, and again, we've heard some of these things, but when we picture what the meaning is, it's like, how could this just been in this random inclusion of words together? Um, Alma writes, he said, he sends an invitation unto all men. What's Jesus' invitation? He wants to extend mercy, right? He says, He sendeth an invitation unto all men, for the arms of mercy are extended toward them. And he says, repent, and I will receive you. Those are the conditions of repentance. I mean, conditions to receive mercy are repentance. There's so much truth wrapped in these few words. Um, Mormon writes, when he's signing off, he says... um, he sorrows for the destruction of his people because that they had not repented. Then he says that they might have been clasped in the arms of Jesus. Clasped. <laughs> clasped in the arms of Jesus.
0: That seems like a unique
1: word that's probably not in the Bible. I don't know. Clasped. Yeah, we can look that one up. I've got a list of hundreds of words. I was able to make the computer database magic happen to say, show me all the words that are in the Book of Mormon that aren't in the the King James Bible. And I keep going back to the King James simply because that was the edition likely available to Joseph Smith or the authorized version. They were about the same. Yeah. Um, and and the inspired version would
0: closely resemble that with some things added.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I like to go back now. You, you mentioned inspired. So I got to, I got to respond to something that has been, I'm becoming more aware of this. Um, you know, the thing I'm liking about the King James and it's like, People, some people listening might be starting to cringe thinking, how can you say you like something? About yeah, the I'm over here going, what's coming? Yeah, what's coming there? <laughs> no, it's all good. It's safe. Just hang with me for a minute, everyone. The thing I'm liking about it is that when you compare it to the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon shines times 10 Right. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who only knows the King James, when you come back to the doctor in the Book of Mormon, it's like, hey, buddy, let me let me show you. Let me let me lay this out in plainness for you. And let me show you those words there that are a little jumbled and confusing. Let me show you how it's spelled out so clearly here. That's what I'm liking, because I'm realizing we've got a great missionary opportunity. And, and you know, the LDS Church, for certain reasons that I'm not going to get into chose not to make the Inspired Version as their official book, even though they call it the Joseph Smith Translation. They still read it, but they don't use it as their missionary tool. And there might be a little actual wisdom in that, but I don't even want to get into that debate right there because, you know, to reach people, you know, you, you're coming at the same level. Uh, I Nevertheless, what, what I'm getting at is that the King James side by side of the book of Mormon makes the book of Mormon shine. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's why I'm trying to study it and understand it so that to have the conversation on the doctrine that the book of Mormon has, is like, it's eye opening at that point.
0: I wonder if some of these, um, later translations use words more similar to the book of Mormon, like arms of, you know, in, in like some of the
1: (laughs) Mike, 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 would you like me to read one other word? I've got a two, I've got a bunch of them here. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is awesome. Arms of mercy. Merciful Arms. So here's another one. You talk about later translations. Um, You can find this on the internet, but there are a lot of people who say, you can look up mistranslations of the Bible, and you can find lots of people who have their their lists and some of them might be scholars and some of them might not be so you, you you can't always trust that who's ever got an internet site is an authority right yeah but and that's that's with anything now so we have to realize that you know we, we can always find something that agrees with our opinion but whether it's really true or not is the question so different translations all right um the book of mormon well, let me read a book, a scripture from the King James Bible in Acts. Acts two, verse twenty-four, states this: "Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it." All right, a little bit, a little bit awkward, but it's it's jumping in the middle, talking about Jesus being raised up, but it says this term: "He was loosed from the pains of death." Now, if I would say. Uh, Mike Barrett, you know, define the word pain for me. You know, what what would your response be? It hurts. Yeah, something hurts, right, (laughs) something hurts, right, because it wasn't possible. Well, so I I just found this, and this was, again, looking up something and looking up something else. There was a Bible scholar, and this guy lived um, in the earlier 1900s, but well after Joseph Smith, um, uh, Charles Ellicott, and he— He was a noted scholar of the day. He was kind of a contemporary of of Strong, who did the Strong's Concordance. And um, he, like a lot of people, wrote Bible commentaries. Well, I was reading something he wrote, and he, he wrote, he comes across the book of Acts, and he writes this. He said, the Greek word pains in this verse was mistranslated from the Hebrew to the Greek to English, and he, he said, it's not the word pains, but it should be the word bands or chords, like band, B-A-N-D, and not like a musical band, but like a band, like uh, you would band together mm-hmm. you know, some wood mm-hmm. on a pallet or something strong, um, or chords, like a like a strong rope. All right? and, and Ellicott said the better translation into English would say this, and he says, quotes, having loosed the bands of death. Uh, he said it, well, let me read his words exactly. He said, Um, the word for pains was the same word for sorrows. He said like travail and pangs. He said it wasn't an uncommon word in the Bible, but he said, but this verse was apparently a mistranslation of the Hebrew for cords or bands of death. That's what he said. So I searched the King James. and I thought, well, where is the word bands of death? And bands of death isn't used anywhere. Now, I got to back up. Remember, death is presented in two different ways. Death is presented as the temporal death, like our mm-hmm. bodies die, but death is presented as the spiritual death, being cut off from God. And that's, there, there's two different aspects of death. Well, pains of death would connote more the physical anguish one would feel if one was dying, or, or to take it to the extreme, if one's being crucified. It was all about pain, right? The pain mm-hmm. of death, right? But the bands of death, the bands of death refers back to something that's more about the spiritual uh, remedy that mercy could act now, that justice wasn't our final conclusion, right? The bands of death being broken. And how do I know that? Well, bands of death. Yeah, being
0: held down. I just picture you being held down and you're stuck there.
1: Yes. Bands of death actually appears many times in the Book of Mormon, and bands of death does not appear in the Bible. But the point is, this uh, noted scholar said, hey, this was mistranslated, and it should be bands. Now, what happened since then, talking about other other um, translations... Every translation doesn't always go back to the source. There's a lot of people who just said, hey, let's take, for instance, the King James, and let's make it a little simpler. Let's take out the these and thou's, right? right. And just say you and me, right? Um, they they do that kind of stuff. But so I found this interesting. At the same website where this uh, Charles Ellicott's comment is saying Acts 2.24 is mistranslated. It should say bands of death. And that there's also... These renditions from, I'll I'll read like four or five of them. The New International Version says, God having raised him up, freeing him from the agony of death. The New Living Translation says, but God released him from the horrors of death. Mm -hmm. Uh, The English Standard Version says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs, like birth pangs of death. Um, And then... Well, the one called the faithful version says God raised him up, having loosed the throes of death, like someone's in their death throes. Well, what's interesting about this is whatever their source was, maybe they use this original word pains, right. but they all embellished the physical aspect of dying. Every one of their words was. And so every one of those was building yep. off the same incorrect mistranslation. They just tried to make it stronger, more, more powerful perhaps. But, More powerful, yeah. None of that does anything for me, (laughs) no, no, exactly. And so, so with this phrase, bands of death, um, it's what's interesting. Let me just jump into it. Uh, is oh, bands of death, it's a Hebrew construct, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So, Messiah writes this, and thus God breaketh the bands of death, having gained victory over death, having given the son power to make intercession. For the children of men. See, this isn't breaking just the bands of a physical death. This is talking about being cut off. Yeah, being cut off. And this is exactly what the purpose and point of Acts two was as well. He was talking about he you know, it's a it's a it's not minor to say God made it so that physical death wasn't the end, but it's the greater picture that salvation. Is the, the bands of death was justice the punishment we were, we all deserved?
0: now. I, I see. I have a word. I have an image in my mind. You know, I've worked in a warehouse in different times. Like you get these deliveries on a pallet, and there's these big metal straps that are holding these boxes together. And you Me take, too. you Me take too. the wire cutters and, and clip them. Back. Yeah, stand back. As soon as you clip them, is boom, it's open. And now those packages are no longer tied down, unable to move, held in place. They're able to be free and to be taken off this. And that's so. When I see bands of death, that's the first thing I think of. Is you're you're tied down, uh, held in place, away from God, and you're stuck there. And then, boom, you're loosed and free to go back to Him. Right? <laughs>
1: that's perfect. That is perfect. And that's isn't that great? They call those strapping bands exactly. Those things are the perfect illustration that, and and nothing moves off that pallet until that band is broken. Right? That's right. But and,
0: yeah, that's that's a construct. Like we wouldn't say uh, pains of labor; we'd say labor they, pains.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And we so. But, but, get this, so here's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh uh Abinadi uses this you know five or six times just in in one chapter, the bands of death because his point wasn't just that Jesus made it, so our physical bodies weren't going to feel pain, remember the pain meant the physical aspect of feeling some excruciation during during death, but the bands was you're right we were strapped down to hell as our destiny as as a child of satan that was he was going to be our, our ruler right unless that band of death was broken and and that was this sacrifice of the father done in mercy and grace for us and we respond by this change of heart allowing his spirit to be in us Abinadi says thus god breaketh the bands of death having gained victory over death um Mos- that's eight thirty-five in the in the uh, English uh, or in the RLDS. And if you're following along, you know in the LDS, I'll give you those scriptures here in a second. But eight thirty-seven says, "Jesus standing between them and justice, having broken the bands of death, taking upon himself their iniquity and their transition. Mosiah eight fifty-four. But behold, the bands of death shall be broken, and the sun reigneth and has power over the dead. Uh, 8.57, they are raised to dwell with God who redeemed them, and thus they have eternal life through Christ who hath broken the bands of death. Um, Alma continues on. He talks about the deliverance of Christ from the bands of death. Um, (laughs) Here's a beautiful one when you consider mercy, and and it's in the larger context of a scripture we shared with the last word. Remember, mercy was being encircled in the arms of? Well, Alma 3.13, just beyond the one we read, it's a beautiful parallel looking at it in context. But 3.13 says, Yea, they, the sinners, were encircled about by the bands of death and the chains of hell and an everlasting destruction did await them. So Alma's making the perfect contrast of the arms of mercy encircling those who come to Jesus and the bands of death holding those who don't come. And it's like, I mean, this is on parallel levels. This is on perfect Hebrew, and none of it's in the King James Bible. I mean, not to knock it, but it's not there. How right. could How could Joseph Smith have guessed at these things? Ah, uh, that's and what
0: does that? Um, so, I like the intellectual part of this. The just because it tends to lead towards the, not that I need more proof, but the divinity of the Book of Mormon. It just completely continues to add up evidence after evidence that it's uh, not a man-made book, but it was in God's wisdom. But there's also this element of the character of God and how does this affect my relationship with him and the trust that I put into him and the knowledge of his character and who he is and do I want to come to him more? Do I want to be with him? Do I want to repent? Do I want to change? When you know that he's there and that he can help you and that he can help you to not be cut off from him and that's his desire and work, it's it's like this ever-opening invitation to change and to come to him and I'm here and I want to encircle you in my arms and I want to break the bands that are holding you and and that you struggle against you know those those enticements to sin that's those are the bands of death i mean what what are the bands of death i mean at, at some point it's yeah you're in this existence away from the presence of god but but right now the bands of death is our is our flesh is our propensity to sin is our our enticements that we're continually led away uh, from truth and from righteousness to do those things after the flesh and he has the power to break that and to encircle us in his arms. And that's an invitation, I think, that should give us hope and um, something to ponder on, that that is, that is our creator and who he is. He wants to put his arms of love around us. I mean, you're, you're, you're getting this great picture of a parent, aren't you? An a, <laughs> a, a earthly parent, an earthly grandparent, a, a spouse. Um, he's using all of that imagery Exactly. And putting it on himself, like this is the God that created you. You know, I'm, I'm, I will have to punish you based on your choices because you can't be with me because I'm holy, but I really longed to make you holy and to allow you to be with me and enjoy the measure of your creation.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And that's always my intent. And um, we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Cause that's what I think inspires us to repent.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm, coming to this opinion that when I'm reading the Book of Mormon, something you just said triggered a thought, when it says he has to punish us. You know, it's what I think the Book of Mormon teaches on a on a really profound level is he's he's warning us all along of the inevitability of the pain that we will endure, that we'll afflict ourselves with when yeah. we we've been cut off.
0: Right, like that's see, a more yeah, that's a more uh, legitimate point on, as soon as I said punish us, you get that picture of this God just waiting to bring down lightning upon the head of the wicked. But, yeah, he's warning us of the punishment that will exist that we'll bring upon ourselves by not choosing him. Yeah. Like, it's already there. It's it's, it's it's waiting to happen.
1: That's what it means that, hey, we are in the grasp of justice. That yeah. was the inevitable outcome.
0: The grasp of justice. See, another construct. Yeah. justice
1: grasp. yeah. 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 That, yeah. I just, I love this stuff too, Mike, for the same reasons. It's like, it it brings out, it, it brings out things. Joseph Smith never talked about this or preached, and it's like, I don't even want to put this in terms of Joseph Smith, but just for what it is, it's like, how do you come up with this stuff where scholars are saying, no, that was mistranslated. And then you flip to this other book and you find, it's not only does, not only does the phrase exist, but it's used in the perfect context of the meanings of the words, right? This bands of death was the thing that we were all <laughs> bound by. I wonder, it would be
0: interesting if Joseph could just sit in and listen to the talk about people around the world now. And he's like, I was just in this room and this guy's, you know, he. I'm reading what I'm seeing on these words and he's writing them down. And yeah. I had no idea that it bands of and what a Hebrew construct was. And yeah, right.
1: <laughs> remember, this was a guy who first wrote Jerusalem with a G, right? Right. You know, <laughs>
0: 16, 16, yeah. 17 years old. And,
1: and, and, you know, someday you, you're right. You know, you think if you could, maybe we'll have the ability to kind of see the whole history of the world as it happened and then see the personality of the people involved. And we probably think, man, God picked maybe a really simple person, Mm -hmm. the term we might use, right, to describe the understanding of someone. I was just innocent.
0: My son's 16 years old. Can you imagine? I can't imagine him coming down to the basement at night and just writing out a book. And then later, I mean, to have it validified in so many different ways. Is that a word? Validified? Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, yeah, this is... But yeah, we don't want to lose the message besides it, So what else you got? What's another? You got I don't know, but you know,
1: you know, there's so many, just these constructs are interesting. So if you're listening to this and you start reading the book of Mormon, you're going to, these are going to jump out at you. I, I, Alma thirteen forty seven. he that breaketh the bands of death and the sting of death should be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. You know, you get all, all these things together and and none of them are the way we would speak. Even the Bible says, "Hey, uh, death, where is your sting?" Right. Right. But this turns it back around the sting of death. Um, uh, we could fill up several podcasts with these. It's probably enough. Maybe maybe we'll do one every podcast because you know I've got I've got scores of these things I've been finding, and they take a little while. When I'm putting them on restored gospel, um, I want to put it. In there, in a way where it's not just telling you what I think i found, but I'm trying to link all the original sources of information. So, so it can be interactive and people can click on the book of Mormon words, the King James words or absence of words. And then the original people, wherever their information was um, one, one other word I'm, I've been working on even just this morning was um, a word nothingness. And the, the interesting thing about that was I, I purchased a Jewish Bible earlier this year. Uh, in fact, I emailed Jeff Benner, uh, not that he and I are buddies. I wish we were, but he responded to my email because my question was, Hey, Oh, if he I want- did. Yeah. I, 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 I emailed him just with a question. He says he takes questions if they're short and to the point. Um, so I said, what, you know, Hebrew slash Jewish Bible would you recommend? Cause I know there's various ones. I wanted one where it had side by side Hebrew. I can't read that stuff, but the, but the Hebrew scholars' English translations of their Hebrew is next to it. And and it's unlike reading the King James. It's 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 modern, but it's different. Anyhow, what word wasn't, and I'll save this one for the next time, is nothingness. I, I didn't find it available on the internet, but I was reading so in this Hebrew Bible through Isaiah, this Jewish Bible with the English on one side and Hebrew on the other. And I came across this word nothingness. And I thought, where have I heard that? Well, I Search the Book of Mormon. Great is the, how great is the nothingness of man? Well, nothingness isn't even a word that, yeah, it exists in English. It's sort of a concoction. You add NES onto something, but it's not a word we would say. We might say emptiness or void or something, but not nothingness. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't occur anywhere in the King James Bible, but I found once again it does occur three times in the Book of Mormon. Now, that's not even a common English word, right? But in this Hebrew Bible, I found they used it many times throughout the Book of Mor- throughout their rendition of the original Hebrew to English. That was the best word. King James Bible didn't have it, but these more modern scholars do. And so for that, I didn't have it on the internet. I just literally took pictures with my phone of this Bible with the underline. I've got pictures up where people can read that. But I'm trying to um, document this so that people can understand people can have these resources. And I don't, I don't know. Um, some of these things fascinate me. Maybe they don't fascinate other people. A lot of people don't need this type of information to, uh, solidify or edify their faith, you know, it, it might just be an interest to them. But to me, where we're at in life is like, oh my gosh, how could anyone have guessed and made this up? Pick a, pick a word that kind of exists in English, but no one ever uses, and then use that appropriately three different times in the Bible and have it agree with the Jews' rendition of the Bible. How do you do that?
0: Yeah. And I believe when, when you're reading the scriptures now, as you've studied this, you start to read them differently. I met, well, I know you do. Cause you share it with me. You read it differently you see the message differently. And I think there's wisdom in being trained how to read the scriptures. We don't, you know, to sit down and read them as a novel or as a some rests, you know, Western um, oh, society that we've learned to read things in there. This is a different type of literature Um, And yeah, it's been translated into words that we recognize, but as far as meaning and, you know, I saw someone the other day put up on Facebook, how do you diagram this sentence? I think it was a Hebrew, you know, the, the object and the meaning and all of that is, is different in the way they, (laughs) in the way they wrote. Uh, The other thing, Corey, I I was thinking of. I got to
1: throw something in there, Mike, because I just read this one. To your point, John Steinbeck's late uh, widow went to Japan after his death. And one of the Japanese citizens came up to Mrs. Steinbeck and said, I just loved the work of your late husband, the angry raisins and and the point it was the angry raisins. It's the words are the grapes of wrath, right? (laughs) The grapes of wrath, but in their culture, that's how it translated to them. Just looking at the words. And we have to realize, un, whether we realize or not, when we're reading Hebrew that's been translated to Greek, that's been translated to English, we're sometimes re- reading words that say angry raisins, you know?
0: Yeah, and... Sorry, I didn't want to cut n- you No, on. no, but as as you pointed out, the the writers of the Book of Mormon, you know, left, some of them left 2,000 years before um, Christ, uh, some of them came over here, you know, 600 years before but they weren't involved in a culture that took them and assimilated them in and then they came back out of it. And, and as you said, the Hebrew across the sea in, in the area of Israel, those, those tribes were taken captive and kind of assimilated into culture and came back. And so now their own people are, are um, studying their own language and learning the uniqueness and the original intent and going back. And and this is all coming to light at the same time. And yet there's this whole other group of literature across the sea that never experienced all of that. And so there it's basically the Hebrews are coming back to the language. that's already present. that was more original in the book of Mormon. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know, this is something that uh, is one of these. And it's all lining up. It's all lining up. For instance, Sometimes it's not just the phrase exists, but where it exists in the Book of Mormon. I just found this out recently. You know, um, the term, it, and it came to pass. You mm-hmm. know, that's used a lot in the Book of Mormon. Been mocked by... Mark Twain. In fact, he's yeah. the one who said, hey, if you took out all the phrases and it came to pass, all you'd have would be a small pamphlet. I think that's what his <laughs> comment was of the Book of Mormon. Well, if you look at where the phrase, and it came to pass, occurs in the Book of Mormon... It's used much more frequently in the early writers by Nephi and so and his brother Jacob. Um, so we're talking 600 to 500 years before Christ in there. And it's used less frequently as you go through. Mormon almost never uses it in his writing. But Mormon's a 1,000 years later. Well, where you find it heavily again, even more so in Nephi's writings, is in the book of Ether. The Jaredite record, which was written 2,000 years or so before. Well, before. Well, and then... And it's like, and it came to pass, everything, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. Well, the reason this is fascinating is because this phrase, and it came to pass, follows the same evolution in the Bible. The earlier writers, like in Genesis and Exodus, and all, well, in that story, you find, and it came to pass throughout the Bible. But as time goes on, it was a phrase less used. And you see the th- same thing in the Bible. Um mormon writes later in book of mormon yeah, yeah book of mormon in the book of mormon um so both of them the the phrase kind of loses its impact in the writing and society the earlier writers used it and the later writers didn't but um what i was uh, gonna add to that was this whole uh, uh, thing of the hebrew is that mormon even writes he said hey um he's talking about if we could have written specifically in the Hebrew, we wouldn't have had imperfection in our writing, but the Hebrew has been altered by us as well. You see this admission that the language has evolved. How would someone, again, like Joseph Smith, know to use, and it came to pass, only use that in the earlier, older portions, but don't use it in the in the later <laughs> portions because people weren't using that around the world. How do you get something like that, you know, and do it right? <laughs> I mean, it becomes mind-boggling to me, you know,
0: yeah I don't know if anyone's ever written a book on all of these things. I know there have been some some things out there, but the evidence uh when you get away from all the polygamy and uh, you know all the the stone in the hat and all of these things that have been used and you just look at the product the literature, it continually reveals itself in new ways of its authenticity, yeah. And that's very hard to people. I mean, that's that's the questions I would ask. Well, how did he do this? Based on the the knowledge coming forth from the Hebrew people themselves. Now, how did how did he get that to
1: all line up? I uh, exactly, and 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 it comes back to um, even this summer when I was with the interns and just. Uh, talking in in our classes about a new way, not a new way, but a a way to read the Book of Mormon where you look for the parallel words. And all of a sudden this became alive uh, to to everyone in the room. And, And I can still remember one of the interns just saying, this is so cool. You know, just emphasizing because it's like you see it in a different way. And it's like the meaning comes out in ways that someone finally said, because these interactions of the parallels were, one upon another, upon another, they said, how could someone just make this up? And finally, someone said, and they answered the question. They said, only if it was inspired, only if it came by the divine, the human mind can't, can't work this way. And when you look into these things, you just realize, oh my gosh, we have this treasure in our hands that could have only come from God. Couldn't come from any other source. What can we do with it, God? You know, you mentioned something else to to start thinking this way. I, it's been a, project of mine just recently to start praying, Lord, if you inspired the minds of these people, they they weren't necessarily born with this, but maybe part of it was their culture and their training, but yet these are your words to them, not just their words they invented. Teach us how to understand like you taught them to understand, you know, because you're right. There is a different level of understanding and I think we can ask for it. I think we're supposed to ask for it. And it's not just to become scholarly or try to be heady, high-minded, deep, philosophical, you know, thinking of the the nuance of words and miss the point of the meaning of life, you know, because people can go down those paths Correct. too. It's not for that, but it's just in the end, what surfaces is this plain truth, this plainness that's been here all along.
0: Do you know, Corey, what this reminds me of as you were just saying that just now was um, our last episode and we talked about the different culture. Are you
1: ending us right now? Oh my gosh, keep going. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We talked about the culture, uh, the difference between uh, us greeting each other here in America with a nod and and someone who just barely even got an email from your wife embracing her when she saw him. And that's kind of how we need to be careful as Westerners when we study this literature and study the Book of Mormon, that it doesn't become this task oriented and we move on, but that we embrace it with open arms and pull it in for its purpose. And yeah. really, I think that guy was realizing what the treasure was, was the person sending him the emails, not the email.
1: Yeah. Amen. And, amen. So, and, and the purpose of all this is so that, you know, we walk home to him. Right? That's right. Until next time, keep walking. Each- oh, no, no, I can't say no, that. You that's can your- say
0: it. I'll let you say it. Go ahead, Mike. Until next time, keep walking each other home.
1: Amen. Thank you and God bless. (laughs)